Good morning. Welcome to Convocation. My name is Becky Horst. I coordinate the convocations here at Goshen College. Today, November 11th, is Veterans Day. So before we actually begin Convocation, I'd like to take a moment to pause and remember the men and women who gave their lives in service for this country and for other countries. We especially remember all the living veterans who continue to pay a heavy price physically, mentally, and spiritually for the cost of war, whether that's World War II, Vietnam, Iraq, or Afghanistan. Our ongoing compassion and care is needed as peacemakers of every stripe. As we pause for a minute now to remember, ask yourself, how can I reach out to a veteran today? Someone in this room, someone in this community, someone in your family. Let's pause for a moment to remember. One of the purposes of Convocation is to explore complex problems and big questions. Now, when you consider the criminal justice system in the United States, one big question is, can people change? Can someone who has committed crimes change and become a law-abiding citizen? And if the answer to that question is yes, then the next question is, how? And in today's convocation, we're going to explore one of those solutions, the VORP program, the Victim Offender Reconciliation Program. The very first VORP in this country began in Elkhart, Indiana, just down the road, and it was begun by a Goshen College alumnus. There are now VORP programs all over the world. We will hear first from Ann Lehman, who's the current director of the Elkhart VORP, and then we'll hear another perspective from Gretchen Lund, who is the Goshen City judge. She also teaches the business law class here. And then Ann will come back and tell us some stories about what happens and to real people in the VORP process. Now, Gloria Showalter, who is a junior here, is going to introduce Ann Lehman to begin the convocation. It is my honor to introduce to you Anne Lehman, the coordinator for the Victim Offender uh, Reconciliation Program at the Center for Community Justice in Elkhart. Anne is a Goshen College graduate who majored in psychology and minored in piano, piano pedagogy while she was here. For the past four years, Anne has been working as the coordinator of the Victim Offender Offender Reconciliation Program, which is just one of the programs that is offered at the Center for Community Justice. I first met Anne when I participated in the Victim Offender Mediation Training in the summer of 2012, and since I have really enjoyed co-mediating with her at the Center for Community Justice. Uh, the training that I mentioned is one that happens twice every year, and it is open to anyone interested in facilitating mediations between a victims and offenders. I highly recommend this training as one way to be part of making this world a more safe and peaceful place to live. Welcome, Anne. Thank you, Gloria. I have always had a strong sense of fairness. As a child, this came out in fights with my brother over who did more chores and therefore deserved more credit or who got more money for allowance. Though I had always been told that life is not fair, I still wanted to believe that it was. We all have this need for fairness in our lives, 
though it manifests itself in different ways for all of us. And I was raised to have a strong sense of responsibility for my actions and was taught to love my enemies and forgive those who hurt me. When I was a student at Goshen College, I was encouraged to think critically about the world and the societal systems around me. One area that caught my attention was the criminal justice system. What I learned about this system certainly did not seem fair or just. Why did people who committed crimes spend so much time in jail? How was that helping them? How was it helping the community? Specifically, why did people who steal get to keep the money they took and just spend time in jail to make up for their crimes? What about the person that they stole from? What did they get out of the process? I did some research for a paper I was writing for my senior seminar on ways to deal with criminal offenders, and I came across the book Changing Lenses by Howard Zaire. He seemed to address some of these concerns that I had with fairness and justice through an idea called restorative justice. Restorative justice asks a different set of questions and looks at crime through a different lens. While the traditional system asks what crime was committed, who did it, are they guilty, and what punishment should they receive, restorative justice asks who was harmed, what are their needs, and who has an obligation to address those needs? Who should be involved in a process for working to make things right? Zaire says that the traditional retributive model of justice describes harm as a violation of the law and the state. The restorative model, on the other hand, views crime as a violation of people and relationships. Instead of just focusing on offenders getting what they deserve, a restorative lens focuses on the victim's needs and the offender's responsibility to be accountable and address those harms that they caused. Now this feels just to me. How better to address a crime or harm done than by working to make it right? Through this process, victims of crime can name how they were affected. It might be a broken door after a burglary. It could be a loss of property, could be damage to their sense of security. Some victims have nightmares after the crime or anxiety. These are all a very normal response. Through restorative justice, victims can be part of a process they're given a chance to face the offender and ask them to address these things that they experienced. Maybe the offender might fix the door that they damaged in the burglary, or they might pay for a new one. They could reimburse the victim for stolen property, answer questions about why their house was chosen out of all of the houses on that block, and they might provide a real person with a face to the nameless criminal which could maybe, maybe, help address anxiety. Offenders have the chance through restorative justice to apologize, to make amends, and be an active part 
in bettering themselves. Of course, this process also provides an opportunity for forgiveness. And isn't restoration of balance part of the biblical idea of shalom? Where people are at peace with each other, not only through managing conflict, but working at righting the relationships between members of a community. I believe God calls us to strive for shalom in the communities we are a part of. For to be righteous is to be in right relationship with God and with our neighbors. The biblical wisdom from the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, has a lot of meaning for me. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? After I graduated from Goshen College, I knew I wanted to work to do something to help other people, and I contemplated various means of working in the social services field. I spent three years at Basher Children's Home here in Goshen, where I worked with troubled teens and helped them get through the challenges of school, getting along with peers, and dealing with the unpredictable family life they may have. I found joy in forming relationships with the youth who lived there, but I still hoped for something that put this idea of justice and writing relationships into practice. And I was fortunate when I um, got a job and began working at the Center for Community Justice in 2008. Center for Community Justice, or CCJ, is a two-story stucco building in downtown Elkhart that houses around eight programs, all that incorporate the idea of restorative justice. We serve um, all of Elkhart County, so all communities in this area, and people from all walks of life come through our doors, from wealthy to poor, those who have committed crimes to those who have been a victim of crime, people of all colors and ethnicities. I work in the longest running program of CCJ, which is called the Victim Offender Reconciliation Program, VORP for short. There are many VORPs in the, in the country, as Becky mentioned, and our VORP was started in the late 70s by several people in the criminal justice system and in church programs that all felt passionate about this idea of helping offenders make things right. It was based on work being done by Mennonites in Ontario, Canada, and actually Howard Zier, the author I mentioned earlier, was instrumental in the beginnings of VORP here in Elkhart County. Our cases for VORP are referred to us by the courts, both juveniles and adults. Most of the referrals come as a part of somebody's sentencing through the court process, but sometimes juveniles may be referred to VORP as part of an informal diversion in lieu of filing formal charges. Common offenses referred to VORP include criminal mischief, theft, burglary, battery, robbery, and fraud, though we do accept cases that are even more violent than that. Our first step is to talk with the victim of a crime about what happened, how it affected them, and what steps they think would be appropriate for the offender to take to begin making things right. One idea might be for the offender to pay for the property they damaged or for the money they stole. Or the victim might ask them to do some type of community service to better the community to pay things back. 
or a simple apology might be appropriate. But the most important service that we offer victims is the opportunity to sit down and talk with the offender in a face-to-face meeting. It would be facilitated by our staff and volunteers in a safe environment. These meetings provide the opportunity for the victim to ask any questions they might have about why the crime happened to them or how it happened. It provides them the opportunity to tell the offender directly how that crime harmed them or impacted their lives. It's very important for offenders to hear firsthand how their actions affected the person sitting across the table from them and to have the opportunity to be accountable for their actions by explaining their role in the offense, by expressing remorse, or by offering an apology. Ultimately then, these conversations provide a chance for both parties to discuss what steps would be an appropriate way for the offender to take to address the harm caused by their actions. And I will share a little bit more about what this meeting between victims and offenders might look like. But uh, first, we'll hear a little bit from the court's perspective on working with victims and offenders. Good morning. Now, according to my family, I have three voices. I have a judge voice, I have a professor voice, and I have a mom voice. So the judge voice, you can imagine how that might go sometimes. Um, the professor voice, for those of you who've had me in class, I hope you find me to be engaging. <laughs> and the mom voice is kind of in between, depending on how it's going at home. So. You all don't want to be mothered, and I know you don't want to be yelled at, and I don't always yell at court, don't think that. Um, so I'm going to be professor today, and I'm going to talk a little bit about where I work, and that's Goshen City Court. My name is Gretchen Lund, and I am the Goshen City Court judge, and I'll talk a little bit about my personal history in a few moments. Um, but I want to thank everyone, especially Becky here, for the invitation to share with you some thoughts this morning. Um, I'm going to share about Goshen City Court and how I believe uh, my own journey has brought me here to Goshen College and certainly to the court. So let's just start with a little bit of background. Um, Goshen City Court handles all of the criminal misdemeanors, traffic tickets, and ordinance violations that happen in the city of Goshen. So I'm going to start off by asking a question. How many cases do you think were filed in Goshen City Court last year? I have no prizes, no gifts, nothing, just goodwill. Anybody? 5,000. Not that many, but not too far off. Anyone else? 3,000. Closer. 3,600 cases were filed in my court last year. Now, of those 3,600 cases, 1,100 of them were criminal misdemeanor cases. Uh, 1,700 were traffic violations, and 800 were ordinance violations. So if you open up your Goshen News, or since you're all students, if you would happen to look at your news on your iPhone, um, and you would look at the police news, you would realize that most of those cases are coming my way. We handle all the misdemeanor alcohol-related offenses. So anything that would include operating while intoxicated, 
public intoxication or illegal consumption of alcoholic beverages. We handle all of the misdemeanor battery cases. That would include domestic cases as well. And we handle all the misdemeanor shoplifting and criminal conversion charges, including check deception charges. And we also uh, take care of all of the driving offenses here in town. And that includes driving without a license or driving on a suspended license. So, like all the courts in this county, we're pretty busy. Many of you have heard, or hopefully you've heard, and especially through Ann's discussion today, that there's been a real push for reform over the past several years. It, um, it seems as though there's been a lot of attention placed on providing persons with opportunities, not just incarceration. And unlike the county courts, we don't handle felony cases. So our incarceration numbers are far less. But don't get me wrong, there are times with pers when persons with criminal misdemeanors do go to the Elkhart County Jail or to Elkhart County Community Corrections. But we also try to handle the defendants that come into our court through our probation services or through our own alternative sentencing. And Goshen City Court has also developed some useful alternative sentencing programs for persons that come through our court that we believe ultimately benefit them and benefit our own community. First off, we have an extensive community service program. We partner with other city departments and we partner with local profit, non-for-profit agencies. We place persons who have uh, criminal offenses with those agencies to do community service as part of their sentence. We also offer educational classes for persons who have check deception or shoplifting or criminal conversion charges. We've partnered with Walmart, with Intera, with other local businesses to provide education to those persons to ultimately, hopefully, decrease recidivism. We want this education to help them break this cycle. We ultimately want to help us as a community. And finally, just most recently, we started what's called the Love Program. This partners us with the police department and with the prosecutor's office. We are working hard to reduce the number of improperly restrained children in our community. Now in the city of Goshen, if someone were to be pulled over for a child restraint violation, which would be lack of a child uh, safety seat, instead of ultimately given a ticket, and only a ticket, they're now given a voucher, which allows them to go to the police department and have a certified police officer install their child restraint system. If they don't have the ability to have a child restraint system because they can't afford one, the state has now provided us grant money to purchase a restraint system that the officer then installs in their vehicle. Once they've completed this process, they bring their voucher to court, they present that to the prosecuting attorney, who then takes that into consideration when deciding whether or not to pursue their ticket. So these are just a few of the programs that we offer as a court that I'm proud to be a part of. But unless you've had the unfortunate experience of coming to Goshen City Court, and I know that no one that either works for Goshen College or goes to Goshen College speeds or does anything of that nature. So I know that you've never been inside Goshen City Court. Unless you've happened to take business law, which you all are required to come to Goshen City Court, which I know is a wonderful experience. Um, I didn't actually know what all happened in Goshen City Court until I was actually there on the bench. And let me tell you, that's quite a different perspective. Um, on a daily basis, I observe the crime that happens in our town. But I also see what comes along with that crime. 
I see and I have to deal with as best as I can the substance and alcohol abuse issues in our community. And I see and I have to deal with as best as I can the lack of education of so many persons that come through my court. And I see and I have to deal with as best as I can the undiagnosed or untreated mental health issues of so many people that come through my court. Now I would argue that there's no amount of law school or education that prepares you for this. This is really a gut check moment. And that's what I believe at this point in my career, that's what I'm to do. And we certainly do all that we can through Goshen City Court, through community corrections, through programs like VORP, to tackle these issues. We work with our local treatment providers. We encourage folks to get their GEDs. I know that on many occasions, I've offered time cuts to persons who get their GEDs through community corrections. But ultimately, it's the person themselves that has to want to make that change in order for there to be a lasting difference. So in my tenure, I have had some success stories. But I've also seen many too many repeat offenders with repeat behaviors more often than I would like. Now, when we were preparing for this convocation, one of the questions that I was asked, I believe here, um, by this young lady was, could you give us all some advice <laughs> about how you chose this particular career? Um, and it was kind of interesting as I thought about that over the past few days, um, and as I shared with them as we were preparing for this, I didn't go into school thinking that I would ever be a judge. Um, I went to Butler University to be a musical theater major. So for all of you that are pondering what you want to be for the rest of your life, you trust me, there are many, many more journeys that you're going to take uh, perhaps before you reach your destination. Um, but I went to Butler to do that, and after a few, I would say months perhaps, I realized that there were going to be some significant student loans for me to pay uh, when I graduated from school. And so I switched over and became a journalism major. And at that point, I thought, well, that's not too bad. Maybe I'll just be on TV. It's kind of the same thing, but I can just tell you the news at night. So that's what I did, and I got my degree in that, and that's what I ultimately thought I would do. And at that point, um, I decided, well, maybe I'll try, you know, maybe I'll try for law school. Maybe something will happen. And um, I was offered a full-ride scholarship to Valparaiso Law School. And so at that point, my parents told me, that you need to go to law school, because when else will you be given an opportunity like this? So I did, I went to law school. I wasn't sure I wanted to be a lawyer, but I thought it was a good opportunity. Graduated from law school, and next thing you know, I'm sitting in a 32nd floor office at a law firm called Ice Miller in Indianapolis with two other, 200, not two other, 200 other attorneys. And Within a few months, I'm sitting there looking at my window thinking, oh my gosh, what do I want to be for the rest of my life? Because <laughs> this, this is not necessarily the journey that I ultimately wanted to take. Um, but I do believe, I'm a firm believer, that God works in very mysterious ways. And as I was going through this process of thinking, oh my goodness, I have this wonderful job, but yet I hate it dearly, um, I, I met up with a gentleman who was going to be appointed to the United States District Court as a federal judge. And he and my husband and his wife got to be friends. And he said, you know what, why don't you come and work for me for a while while you decide what you want to be for the rest of your life. 
And so I ended up being a law clerk in the Southern District of Indiana for three and a half years. And it was such a wonderful experience, again, to work for such a wonderful judge, but kind of, I guess, catch my bearings as well. Um, my husband and I moved up here to Goshen in 2006, and at that point, I became a deputy prosecuting attorney. And I always laugh because within six weeks, I'm sitting in this little corner office in a basement over in Elkhart, and I'm thinking to myself, this is exactly where I was supposed to be. Um, because it suited me. It, it's, it's where God intended me to be. And I think once you get to that moment, you just understand that, that it's right. And so as opportunities present themselves, um, the position for Goshen City Court came up in 2008, and I ran for the, for the job. And I've had that now for almost six years. Um, there's never a day that's boring. Um, there are some really, really trying days. But there are also some really good days in the sense that I feel like, um, as my youngest daughter would say, well, you must be a community helper, Mom, because that's what you know, police officers do or firefighters do. You just happen to do it from court. And, and I hope that that's true. Um, because again, when we are looking into our futures and we're trying to figure out what we want to do for the rest of our lives, um, I would encourage all of you to really take hold of some of those opportunities that come to you, to see what you can do in your own chosen career, to be a community helper, to do what you can to make the best of yourself and your occupation. Um, don't be afraid to try things out. Don't be afraid to um, get out of your comfort zone. So that's kind of the view from Goshen City Court and from my personal standpoint. I know that we're going to leave it, I think, a few minutes for questions at the end. So thank you again for having me here this morning. Earlier, I spoke about the benefits of the victim offender meeting through VORP. But let's hear a little bit of, about what this process might look like through a few stories of actual experiences. First, we'll hear the story um, from a person who actually went through it. So here's the story of Kenton, a victim of a burglary in Elkhart. Kenton was a former teacher at Elkhart Central High School and owned a lovely home with a beautiful flower garden. He personally knew the offender in his burglary case and was upset to learn of his involvement in the burglary. Tony, the offender, had been sent to prison for several years for his crime, but when he got out, he had the opportunity to participate in VORP and meet with Kenton. Kenton wrote about his experience, and I'll share that with you. My first encounter with Tony was when he was a teen and needed some part-time work. I needed someone for yard work. Tony was an excellent worker and very respectful and told me his dad knew me when I worked at Central High. He worked for me all summer and into the fall. Then I lost contact with him. Later, my home was burglarized and I learned that Tony and his friends were responsible. I was hurt and disappointed that someone I tried to help had turned on me. It didn't make sense. Then I received a call from VORP asking if I was willing to meet with Tony. He had gotten out of prison four to after serving four to five years. I agreed, even though I didn't know what to expect. The meeting went very well. 
Tony assured me that the robbery was not personal. He was on drugs at the time and would have stolen from anyone. He was remorseful and was sorry for what he did. He was wanting to turn his life around and start over again. He offered to work for me for no pay. I offered to hire him for pay. Tony showed up for work that afternoon and did a great job. Here's an actual photo from that. He was respectful, followed directions, and was hardworking. I had no problems with his work. He didn't have a fo phone, though, and did not always show up for work on time. Tony helped a great deal with yard work around the house and also helped with some painting. I was very satisfied with Vorp and their assistance in this. I won't pretend that everything went perfect, but then how often in life does that happen? I was impressed with how Vorp was set up and conducted the meeting with me and Tony. I think all worked out well. I felt less betrayed. Tony realized he could be forgiven if he would turn his life around. Someone asked me how I could let him back in my life after he robbed me. I replied, how many times do you want God to forgive you? So Kenton found that this meeting with Tony answered some of his questions and helped him deal with the hurt caused by this betrayal. Tony found that the meeting allowed him the opportunity for redemption by doing something tangible to repair his relationship with Kenton. Mediations in VORP don't always lead to forgiveness, and that is okay. But we always make space for this transformation and reconciliation to occur. We work with cases of burglary, as you've just heard, and also with uh, lower-level offenses and with juveniles who commit cases of criminal mischief, like vandalism, or with battery, like uh, fights with each other. I met with two juvenile girls last spring who had gotten into a fight over some rumors that may or may not have been spread by one of the girls. It resulted in some name-calling and then one girl daring the other one to come over and do something about it. There was posturing and some shoving, and then the offender started punching the victim. The case was referred to VORP through the juvenile court. And in a case like, like this, the lines between victim and offender are a little blurry. Both people may have had some share of the blame in escalating the conflict. But the girl who did the punching was able to admit, through VORP, that she had crossed the line and hadn't and had learned to deal with her anger in a more positive way. She recognized that she hadn't handled things appropriately. The meeting between the two of them was what you might expect. They were both a little awkward and embarrassed about being there, but they quickly opened up and talked about the friendship and about the rumors that had led to this. They left the meeting better able to communicate with each other and with a plan for getting along in the future. Their parents were able to name their frustrations with how the situation had been handled, and the offender even volunteered to help out at the victim's house with some work. So VORP helps, create, helps people create plans for themselves to right the wrong done. But VORP can also just be a place for people to find closure after a serious crime shatters the world around you. The next story is about um, one of these serious crimes. 
a woman that we'll call Diana, found this kind of healing through Vorp. One day, her young adult son was hanging out with some friends. Some of them had been friends since childhood. They had gotten together to hang out and remember another friend who had died. Marijuana was consumed by all as they reminisced. When they got back in the car, though, the driver, we'll call him Jack, seemed a little out of it. Unknown to the others, he had also taken other prescription drugs that day. The substances interacted, and he soon passed out at the wheel. As the car began to drift, Diana's son, seated in the back seat, took off his seatbelt to help steer the car. It ended up crashing, and Diana's son was killed. It was a horrible journey for Diana and her husband, as you can imagine. They found many ways to honor their son, and they continued to grieve. When Vorp contacted Diana to tell her about our program, she knew right away that she wanted to talk with Jack. She had questions for him about the crash, about her son's last day, and about how Jack was dealing with the death he had caused. Vorp staff met with Diana and her husband several times to prepare for the meeting with Jack. After some time, the meeting was scheduled. Both Diana and Jack told their stories of what had happened and shared memories and pictures of, the, of her son. She was able to find answers to some of the questions that she had, and Jack was able to express how this experience had changed his life. He asked for forgiveness. Jack has a payment plan now in place so that he can pay for the funeral expenses for Diana's son. It is an ongoing process for him to address the harm that he caused. And though the grieving journey continues for Diana and her husband, the meeting with Jack provided one step toward healing. Forbes' hope is that we can provide opportunities for many more victims and offenders of both large and small crimes to find reparation, restoration, and reconciliation. Thanks for your attention today and for listening to the ways that restorative justice promotes compassionate peacemaking. If you'd like to be involved in our work, please do feel free to contact us to learn about volunteer and internship opportunities. In fact, one way you can be involved is coming up soon. Next week is Restorative Justice Week. To celebrate, CCJ is hosting an open house on Monday, November 18. Come to our offices in downtown Elkhart from 4 to 7 p.m. to learn all about our programs and to chat with staff about ways that you can be involved. Or you can do some holiday shopping on Thursday, November 21st at 10,000 Villages from 3 to 7 p.m. where 20% of the profits will go to support our programs. And here is my contact information and our website if you'd like to learn more um, please do feel free to check out our website or to contact me for more information. I think we do have some time for questions, so thanks again. I'll turn it over to Becky. Okay, thank you very much. So we've heard several perspectives on restorative justice from VORP, from the city court, 
since time is getting a little bit late, I don't think, are there any questions that you would like to ask here? I don't think we'll rove with the mics, but does anyone have a question for either Anne or Gretchen? Hmm. Well, if not, they'll be available here. You're welcome to come up and talk to both of them afterwards. And you're dismissed. Thank you.